How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig, also from The Athletic. You are listening to Beyond the Scrum, the athletics podcast about baseball and sports media. Mark, how's it going, man? Doing great, Andy. It's open. It's a big week for baseball. Got opening day coming up, so life is good, man. How about you? Play ball. It's, it's back. Baseball's baseball is back. Baseball is baseball. Against all odds, is back. They are going to play baseball games tomorrow. We will see if they can keep the season on the rails. It is a a very strange time. I think we've talked a lot about how. Our reservations, I guess, for this season going forward. But you know, uh, we'll get we get into this a little bit in our interview with David Roth, who's our guest today. But they have been behaving responsibly. There has been avoiding an avoidance of outbreaks. The players are taking it seriously, and you know, I there seems to be something of a chance that they can get through it. I, I you know, but it's going to be like a day at a time proposition, I guess. You know, yeah, for sure. I, I think, uh, and everybody that that's involved in it they all know that um but i think it is like in, in fairness that they the last week or so two weeks um they behaved themselves they put themselves in position I, I you know i was uh listening to rocco baldelli the other day and you know he'd gotten into some of the stuff that they've had to adjust to make this work you know rocco like a lot of these kind of new school managers, right? They don't have a lot of team rules like some of the old school hard hard asses did, right? So now the obvious he's obviously he's gonna flip or flip that around. <laughs> right. Right. Like I mean right. but I think it's interesting just how much time, effort, planning they have put in to to re emphasize these messages. And I think clearly we've seen that happen around the sport. So that's a good sign. You're right, day to day proposition, but um, you know, there's a part, like, I, I think I'm excited about it, which I couldn't say even a week ago. And, and I think a lot of it is a reflection of the seriousness it, that these players have taken, um, some of these rules and mandates to make this thing go. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird blend of like, it seems like guys are having a good bit of fun when they're playing. It seems like they're really enjoying being out there. Um, it seems like guys are taking this, the protocols seriously. And, you know, we've seen like with the, the giants and the angels, for example, guys are using their platform, you know, to peacefully protest. We've seen, you know, guys kneeling for the anthem, you know, players speaking up, you know, making their, their voices heard. And so it's a really interesting blend of stuff happening right now in the sport. I know that's not the, the most eloquent depiction of it but you've got a lot of sort of cross currents intermingling that you know creates a uh, you know just a just an inch like a very different sort of atmosphere than we're used to for a baseball season you know well this is not like you know a, a super deep insight or anything but this is already a season to me where you throw the year out and you yeah. know what the, the, the importance is, right? 1968 year, the pitcher, you know, like the 27 Yankees, uh, you know, 2020 season. Like it's the, just... The it, 2010 Mets. The 20, <laughs> 20... Is it Carrasco on there? Anyway, like... Uh, um, but yeah, like it's it's that... It's never going to be the same again. And you mentioned just even the the people, the players, the coaches, the managers, Gabe Kapler using using their platform to say something that really hasn't been said uh, in this world before. Not like this. So, um, yeah, already you can see that it's transformative. The minor leagues are never going to be the same way again. I think it's going to be such a weird season that you're going to have guys, again, like Gabe Kapler, you know, it's going to be a Petri dish. You're going to be trying some shit that you normally would not see because it's just so much easier to just say the hell with it. Why not, right? Like to use pitchers in buckets and and not look at them so much in roles and use them as just outgetters or or whatever, like some of the alignments that we've seen or, uh, you know, I just, I think this is like a, a season in which you're going to have a lot of like hardcore baseball sort of rules, uh, ways that you do things, not only get challenged, but, you know, significantly weakened to the point where like we won't recognize it after this. Yeah, that worries me a bit, but we'll see. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really like innovation in baseball. 
Um, yeah, I'm not saying it's a good thing either. To be honest <laughs> right. with you, like I'm not like I mean, yeah, yeah like I'm I glad you like, said that. Like I mean, I'm not were, like I was yay, working my no way. starters. No, 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 no. I don't like it necessarily either. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I was I'm working my way towards feeling like you know actually somewhat excited about the season. Then you started talking about innovation and pitchers and buckets, and I'm just like, no, this sounds awful. This Never is mind. horrible. I take, I take, I don't want to watch this <laughs> crap. I wouldn't watch that in my backyard. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different one. Um, well. We have a, a really fun guest on today, uh, David J. Roth. He is a former editor at Deadspin. He's also worked at the Classical Vice Sports. He writes columns now uh, on occasion for the New Republic and some other places. He wrote a, uh, a wonderful piece in the New Yorker recently about uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, I think he's uh, just one of the best writers working in America today and a really, really uh, sharp thinker, funny guy. And he knows more about the Mets than most human beings should. Um, so we had a real fun conversation. Uh, so let's get to that now. Uh, here is our interview with David. David, thank you for stopping by. Hi. Thanks for having me, man. Good this morning. Is, uh, this is an honor. This is a real honor. Oh, for me as well. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, I, I admired Mark's hat rack during your Productive Outs uh, video <laughs> experience. And I... Being able to see it here on my own computer firsthand is really, it has not disappointed. So it's been great. Thanks for having me. It really, I mean, Mark's hat rack, I like we can't see it in podcast form, but it, it is like conspicu- conspicuous consumption in the worst way. I don't know if it's the worst way, but I agree with the first part. No, it's not the worst way, but it is a, an indication of a, a lot of deeply seated, deeply rooted problems on my part. Though I, I must say, uh, already got a shout out from Aaron Boone about it uh, during his managerial Zoom call the other day. So uh, I'll take that as a W. And now David Roth chimes in with the thumbs up. So we're staying hot over here with the hats. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carig will uh, be now be inspired to write about how Aaron Boone invented the home run or something like that and to continue okay. to ma- remain All in his right. good graces. Getting personal already. This yeah, is terrible. Really? Seriously. I knew this would happen too. This is what this is the effect I have on people. Well, I, I just think it's Andy's bandana a little too tight and it's cutting off the blood flow to the brain. It's <laughs> mid-season form. <laughs> You can tell how good we all feel. I think that's really coming through. <laughs> no one's got the ass. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. Yeah. Hey, so on that cheery note, uh, opening day is tomorrow? Yeah, uh, that's normal. That's happens. <laughs> so I'm curious, David, like as someone who thinks critically about like the world and culture and sports and all those sorts of things, like how are you feeling about baseball getting started tomorrow? It's still kind of coming together for me, if I'm being honest, which is a normal thing. Just, you know, as a as a Mets fan, late July is usually when I start figuring out how much I'm going to be able to care about a baseball season. Uh, it's not usually uh, corresponding with opening day at that point. Obviously, I honestly am like more ambivalent than I expected to be, but also like there's still some positivity in there. There's a part of me that really like going back to July 4th, I was looking yesterday at something that I had started writing and and didn't finish writing about how like fundamentally unworkable this shit just all felt at that point. It was just nothing but bad things happening. Like Tanaka got drilled with a line drive, like a bunch of high profile guys uh, said that they weren't going to play and it just, they weren't, doing the tests i mean whatever testers didn't show up which yeah. wasn't a thing i baked into the equation for how this might go sideways i guess right i mean it was and that's the, exactly the way that like it rhymed entirely too well with the way that the rest of the response has been duffed like it was just sort of like the stuff that was hard was obviously hard but then stuff that seemed like it should have been easy just also was not happening at all and yet like it seems in some ways like that's you know there's I, every few days a guy withdraws but it's starting to feel almost like you could have a season. Like what kind of season it's going to be is something that, you know, is gonna, we're going to figure out together um, in the breach. But it doesn't feel quite as unworkable as it did a few weeks ago. And that was mostly that was when I was like, they should just not do this. Like it, it doesn't seem worth it. And, you know, how worth it it is or isn't now. But if they can do it and, you know, hold it together for a little while without people getting sick, then like, I don't know. Why not? I miss baseball. Seems reasonable. Yeah, and and 
And I do think you're you're right that like that first week or so, you're just like, oh, this is not this is not tenable at all. But I, I yeah. think it is like, uh, frankly, like it's a credit to the players for like taking this shit seriously. Like in it a way, like they're the only ones that did. Yeah, yeah, like in a I way agree. that a lot of people in American life have not. At the very least, like these athletes are, you know, not being irresponsible for now. The, the problem is it just gets it's just going to get so much harder as guys are getting on planes and traveling and stuff like that. But at the very yeah. least, like they have been responsible, and I think that's something that's really commendable and and frankly, like a little unexpected. Yeah, it's been one of the I think the the bigger stories of you know the the way that you don't want to say that we're opening back up or whatever, because there's clearly not like a strategic national approach to that. But in the instances where you see pushback against really obvious, bad, like so rash that it's almost sadistic sort of decision-making it's like, it's hardcore union stuff. I mean, it's teachers unions and bizarrely, it's like the baseball union that like Sean Doolittle is a leading voice on like an ethical reopening strategy, which is, uh, really remarkable when you consider that he started out as a first baseman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But I think that's true. I mean, yeah. like, I think there's something to it, like for whatever, I mean, I don't know how this is like scalable through the rest of society, obviously, but. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that, I mean, I guess we've just decided that testing wise, it's not. Uh, yeah. Which is sort of the problem is that, you know, that with a significant amount of testing, like you can, you know, have something resembling normal life. And if you have people, you know, give people a reason to like stay inside and still be compensated and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, that's what kind of all the other countries have done. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about how much it's like exactly the version of like, <laughs> like if you had taken a, a functioning approach to all of this, this is how you would do it. Like you <laughs> yes. pay people, you can actually minimize it enough that you can do contact tracing, like all the stuff. Like at this point now, it's just, rolling the dice but uh yeah i'm looking forward to the the blue jays in pittsburgh i want to see how stupid it gets i just hope nobody gets hurt i guess when when do you think for you david did you kind of get to that point like you'd said earlier you know if it, a lot of conflict and then it switches over to hey if they can pull this off why not i miss baseball like for me it was monday night i would say i'm, I'm yeah a, you know, i was gonna like say a, it's it's been in the last seven yeah days. like so what was like was there a, a thing that like triggered it for you or, or like was there a moment or a thought that got kind of got you in that direction it was i think that as embarrassing as this is like it was the first of the two televised mets yankees mm. uh sort of exhibition games which was not what I would call like crisp baseball in any sort of, I mean, it was like literally a Rick Porcello start in the middle of July. Like it doesn't matter where in the season you are. You can only get so jazzed about watching <laughs> that guy throw like 89. And yet like it was, you know, it was Gary Cohn and Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling. It was a Mets game on my TV. Like, and I hadn't really, cause I'm not a soccer person. And so I had barely, barely seen any live sports in months. I'd watched the end of that basketball tournament that ESPN had on three the, on the three. basketball tournament. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I watched like uh I watched like Travis Diener hit a game winning shot and win a bunch <laughs> of Marquette alums a million dollars. That was the only live sports experience I'd had for like six months. What? And the, what is the I'm sorry what I have no earthly oh, so idea is, what you're talking about this is a thing called the basketball tournament they probably could have named it a little more ambitiously in retrospect it is a winner take all tournament that they actually did a bubble for and managed the testing it seems like pretty responsibly the teams are like usually like uh, former pros or people that play in Europe sort of getting together and competing over a series of games and then the team that wins wins a million dollars and all the other teams don't win anything and so this happened the team that, this happened <laughs> the final was on tv it, it was actually decent basketball it was like but it was the marquette team if you want to get into the, the remembering some guys portion of the uh the evening earlier it was like darius johnson odom uh travis deaner like all guys that you sort of remember as like the second best guy on a team that went to the sweet 16 sure and like they looked good they looked all right they beat a team that had um that was like more of like a Euro league grab bag, but it was still a bunch of dudes that I remembered watching like score points for Ohio state in a game a few years ago and being like, Oh, that was nice. I like that. Dude, that's awesome. A grab bag. Yeah, of it was all right. Players. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot of times it's the, the guys are very like, they're in good shape. Like, and the announcers were 
they were trying to be nice about it, but they were like, you might remember uh, Derek Wilson from when he was uh, the point guard for Marquette. The real big difference now, of course, he uh, makes shots. <laughs> but like, they like would go to like, this guy was like playing in Sweden and averaging 20 a game after taking like four shots a game in support of, you know, much higher recruited guys. So it was nice. There's people I didn't remember like looking at them and being like, wow, well, that guy obviously works out and it looks like he's worked on his jump shot. So anyway, uh, Monday night, you're watching a baseball game. It's like, hey, this is kind of nice, I guess. Yeah, it felt like I don't I don't want to speak for Mark on this, but it was like an autonomic response. Like I did not feel like I had uh, a whole lot of say in it because I was still pretty at that time. I was like, we're really going to do this. Like we're going to play like 60 games in 63 days like. Mets can't keep people healthy over the course of a season that's got like normal off days in it. Like, it's like someone might die. And yet, like, I don't know, the rhythms of it are so ingrained in like, I mean, I've just watched a million baseball games in my life. Like, and it felt like I knew how to do it. And I felt like I wanted to do it again. God, what a, that's a perfect description. Like Monday, the so- sound of the game, just the sound, they, they hear, they hear the yeah. banter, like, even if it's just total bullshit, like a lot of it is, it's like so comforting. And, and I actually, I'm in a fantasy league with the fabulous Lemire brothers. And so mm-hmm. I, um, you know, we had the draft going on. Um, I had a couple of beers in the fridge. Um, you know, my wife took the, ba- the, took the kid and just like hung out the other side of the house. And I was just like sitting here in the hat wall and got the game on and, you know, picking bad baseball players. And it was the first time I think through all of this where I just didn't think of anything else. It was just nice to sort of bask in baseball again. And, And I remember waking up the next morning and even just getting after it for work, which had been very difficult admittedly the last like couple months, man, I was like anxious to call people and text people just to talk and ask about baseball things. And it honestly, it felt really nice. Yeah, I have felt the same. I mean, I obviously, you guys both write about baseball at a much higher volume than I do. But for me, like, especially the way that things were kind of breaking down at the end of the Deadspin thing, it would be like the baseball stuff I would do or the sports stuff I would do would be like what I would do to get my brain back in shape from like uh, the stuff that I would write about politics. Like I enjoyed doing it, you know, but like it sucks. It's the same story every time. And it's never one that's got, you know, much in the way of a, a happy ending. And then like, so having this to sort of like even it out, I don't think I'd realized during the absence of, of sports, just how much of like a mood stabilizer sports huh. are for me. Like just in terms of not in like, you know, like a, a literal sense, but in the way that like, again, with like the sort of the the way that we regulate our behaviors, like the absence of West Coast NBA games. Like for a while, I started going to bed earlier because there was like not a random Blazers jazz game to like kind of watch. But like, I really felt the absence a lot. Like, and I think, yeah, I, so that is is well said on your part in terms of like what Monday was like. But it was the same thing for me. Like it was just like suddenly this space occupied by something familiar where it had just been instead, like everything has just been the news. Mm-hmm for months like that sucks yeah so a welcome change i mean we'll see how long it takes before like i was kind of waiting to see how long it would take watching that game for me to like just get frustrated in a dumb way by something the mets did in a meaningless game (laughs) (laughs) and like it lasted until edwin diaz pitched like and and that's yeah perfect what what did he do (laughs) just walks i mean like he it was he took yeah, the mound. And it's tough too because I so I loved watching him in Seattle. Like I would like stay up sometimes if he if I if it looked like he was gonna pitch. I just think he's the coolest. And I don't I still don't understand what the problem is here. And so like he throws these pitches and I'm like, no one can hit this. And then like as soon as I have that thought and begin to feel moderately smug about it, someone like really, really hits one hard. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what what happens with him. I I hope he'll be fine. Like, just not because I care about the. I mean, like, the Mets win the World Series this year. It's still gonna feel awfully weird, uh, and unreal. But like, I just want Edwin Diaz to be cool again. I want him to be happy. He seems like a nice fellow. Because you bring up the Mets, I just wanted to jump in on that real quick. Like, wh- how do you process sort of what's going on with this potential for for an ownership 
change right now and like what's that like even just from a fan perspective like are you like is this like you know thank god finally just anybody's better or 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 is there like some problems with some of the names that are being thrown out there right now that's the issue with all of this right is that like anybody rich enough to buy a baseball team is not somebody that you're gonna have an easy time feeling enthusiastic about like just if you pay attention to current events you're like well there's probably that person probably committed a bunch of uh, crimes of some kind and then you know you just sort of wait to figure out what they are and if they're like the kind of victimless securities fraud kind or you know whatever but the none of it's great you know like with steve cohen who's trying to buy the team now like i had gotten used to that back in february and i was never you know enthusiastic about it like he's not he's not my type of guy but you know, not a lot of people <laughs> with $2 billion to, you know, in a bank account or whatever are what I would categorize right. as my type of guy. The the dude that tried to buy them uh, years ago, uh, Robert or David Einhorn, David Einhorn, uh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. like actually did seem to be a little bit higher functioning a human than Cohen, but at least they both like the Mets. Like I'd have one thing to talk about with them. So that's something. <laughs> uh, the A-Rod uh, J-Lo bid for a while kind of caught my fancy a-rod's been embarrassing himself on that one the last week or so where he's just kind of like talking about a salary cap and just generally like the thing that or so the short answer with this is that like none of these owners are exactly going to be my best uh and closest personal friends but the Wilpons are terrible the team will never improve and the organization will never get less like sort of like viciously anti player in its processes unless they're gone uh but the the real challenge i think with any of it is just sort of understanding that uh there's a lot of compromises sort of built into it and you're only ever going to get to feel that good about it you know Mm -hmm. and so there's a sense in which like any of anything is probably better than uh you know than the will ponds but like maybe not that much better <laughs> the thing yeah the thing that that blew me away during this that i've like kept coming back to is there was a story like i like somebody like maybe manfred or somebody actually put their name on it where they were like some owners are concerned that steve cohen has too much money and like that he might spend it and like if the mets start like signing good free agents like uh where will we all be then and that was like right it just sort of drags you back into like thinking about owners has been a very difficult part of being a baseball fan especially the last few years like as they've really kind of steered into the skid yeah so. you you wrote a column at deadspin a couple of years ago i think i'm looking at the title now it's uh the the market has come to the mets and that's yeah. bad about how basically like almost all of the teams had started behaving the way that the Mets had in free agency in various other ways and it seems like that only continued during the labor fight uh, that went on this spring and summer. I couldn't believe that shit. Um, I, I was surprised at how <laughs> surprised I was by it, but yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think it, it would be interesting. Like I would have conversations with like, you know, like a, a GM in uh, April and he would just say like, look, like these side, I mean, I would be like, do you think they're going to play? And he would just be like, look, everyone is way too incentivized to not have baseball this year. It just makes too much, like everyone's got too much money yeah. on the line, essentially. Like they can't mess this up. And then you talk to him like two minutes, two months later and he'd just be like, yeah, they're, they're messing yep. this up. I, I, <laughs> just not, like, I, I can't, I do not understand this at all, you know? And I think that was almost everyone who wasn't like a player or an owner. The reaction is just like, how are you guys like biffing this? It was so also, hard? Uh, yeah, so bad. Yeah. There was a real like dread to it too, because like I figured eventually they'd get the money stuff figured out for the reason that you said, I mean, which is like, it often seemed impossible to me. People that are better that I know that are better sourced at front offices are like, no, they're going to do it. Like they need to do it. Like they need whatever money they can get out of it is important to them. But to see like them going back and forth with these cheesy proposals where like basically the the owners were trying to find different ways to get players to take a third of what they'd agreed to. But they were like, what if we gave you, what if you got uh, 60% of your salary over a 13 game season? Would that be like, how about that? All right. Or 58% over a 14 game season. Like it'd be whatever it was. Like it was embarrassing. But then for all of that, it was clear that like the last thing that they were going to get to was the hardest thing, which is how do you do this without making people sick? And so they had these like ridiculous circular 
arguments and like little snipey leaks and like about everybody's all disappointed and like the owners are you know bluffing this and bluffing that and at some point it's like you need to test like a few hundred guys every few days right like is anyone on that you have like an intern working <laughs> right. on it or something like and the answer and was the, no right. they didn't have anybody right. working on it right and like literally the first weekend they did testing like they forgot that like holidays exist and fedex might not be working on like july yeah, 4th which is yeah. remarkable like imagine how that would feel as a player like you're doing this like you got you're like sort of half and half on it and then just the dude that's supposed to take your test doesn't show up like that can't no. feel great. Yeah. Like what do you do? That was, as I said, that was not something I baked into no. the equation of how this might go. Like I assumed the testers would show up, I guess. And like, look, it was one weekend. It seems like they have ironed some of those things out, but like this was the stuff that you could have been doing in June because that could have been a lot yeah. worse. You know, like they got lucky that that didn't lead to like a total outbreak disaster. Yeah. And if well, you, they treated five it, clubs didn't get tested. They treated it like conflict. That was the issue. Yes. Like they, every time I talked to somebody in baseball about the testing aspect of it, it got framed like the labor stuff, which is, you know, adversarial. And so I would hear things like, oh, you know, I'm so worried about it. We're, we're kind of close on that stuff. Well, all right, that's fine. But you're still climbing Everest. Yeah. Right. Also, Tied together when you hate one another. Yeah. Like. It's hard. It's also it, again that like feels like the like the the rest of the discourse around this stuff too because it's like making it like a partisan thing where like well these guys want to get tested but we're gonna we're gonna work with them on that we're gonna drag that you know <laughs> get them back <laughs> yeah, in our yeah. direction which is no yeah. whatever you want is not something we're going to do for you like that doesn't work either you know the idea that like but I, you know you see it I had the fear you know during the sort of the the lockdown period. Where I was like, if this becomes like, if people start like not wearing masks to trigger the libs or whatever, then like this is going to be really bad. Because like as soon as it becomes like a partisan thing where it's about like spiting some neighbor that you don't like, then you're not in the part of your brain that makes good decisions. You're in the part of your brain that gets in bar fights. And like for baseball stuff too, I mean, it's the owners have just been there. They've been ultra aggressive with this shit for years. And, I, you know, I, I sort of hope that this would be a moment where you might be able to set things aside and it feels awfully naive to even have had that hope at this point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting just like how low we have the bar yeah. at this point that like teams who like, you know, would just say like, hey, uh, we're going to pay our employees through October. You know, like the sports media would be like, these guys yeah, are doing they it. They get it. Like, this is how Lou you Wolf do it. Lou Wolf gets like, it. <laughs> like, yeah. Right, that's bad example. Sorry, <laughs> he, he but, had some help yeah. getting it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but it's like you know, like the bar is so low. It's just like commit to pay your employees through the baseball season, and everyone will say these billionaires are so great. And it's like they couldn't even do that. You know, you had teams that had to be like shamed into paying the minors. There was so, so much of that all through the draft was the same way. Where like the amount of money that you're saving is so like, I mean, it's a lot of money to me, but like it's. If you own a baseball team, it's a rounding error. Like what they got by shortening the draft like that was the savings of a few million dollars a team, right? Like not even five. And that's going to, they'll be feeling the results of this for years in terms of who yeah. went back to college, who didn't sign, like, and, you know, in terms of like what your player development organization like looks like when you start it back up. Incredibly short sighted. And with the, and in terms of paying, you know, like the, the like front office staff. I mean, that's even less. That would have well, been I, a savings in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And right, we, we were talking earlier about Mets ownership and sort of that carousel. And uh, what I'm amazed by is that there's so many people that are trying to sign up into what is quite frankly not a money making business. Yeah, in owning a baseball team, you know, like it's like my, my favorite exercise is to take some of the dumb shit that I've heard. Uh, from the ownership side and like operate in a world in which you believe that at face value. It's a pretty solid bit. I really was, I felt like <laughs> delivery was very good there too, but it is like the yeah. idea of being like, it was understood. These guys lose hundreds of millions of dollars a year, all because they love the national league central. It's not surprising when they come across as out of touch because they literally don't interface with the public in any sort of meaningful way. They don't get challenged by reporters. They can just say all this goofy stuff. Like Bill DeWitt can just say, like, you know, what did he say? Something like, you know, this isn't a money making business. Yeah. Or something Quite like frankly, that. As it was, isn't very profitable. 
Yeah, as he was buying like Eva Longoria's twenty million dollar right. home, like nine, in LA. but like, still it's just, yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, either way, you know, it's just sorry, nine. Right, uh, but but, but like that. The funny part is that gets zero traction. Okay, meanwhile, Blake Snell makes a decent point in a very piss poor way, and it is like fodder for every columnist and in, in yokel, you know, from here to Oakland, yeah. and like that. So. Uh, well, if Bill DeWitt had done his interview giving an impression of Seth Green's character from Can't Hardly Wait, <laughs> then people would have probably picked yeah. up on him. Uh, also, that's why well, that's I mean, why a lot of owners never go on Twitch. Because everybody <laughs> everybody takes everything really personally there. They're always trying to head to uh, no scope you. And that's rude. So good. If you were That said, if if Jeff Wilpon got on Twitch, I would get on Twitch. I would learn to play whatever game he was playing. And I would play like wacky races against Jeff Wilpon and yell at him the whole. I think it would be really interesting to watch the like owners play on like you know just trying to figure out the controllers yeah. like you know having someone turn up the volume for there's, them you know it'd be great. Like butlers moving around in the back to like just trying to the <laughs> internet working right. Yeah, the Jerry Jerry Reinsdorf trying to figure out Twitch is like a funny. Like, this was uh, a great uh, a great for all the things that we didn't have during the break it's like the Reinsdorf essence he had the last dance yeah he's back yeah. man he is back big time big time i knew somebody that had dealt with him in chicago and like they the person did not dislike him personally which i guess is, he was like you don't understand like how chicago a guy this guy is okay like he wears a members only jacket okay like that was like the example that he gave me and it kind of comes through that this is just like a dude like Somebody that like Joe Pesci's character from Casino would know from back home, like just the guy that you'd see in like one scene being like, "That's a great sandwich." <laughs> but he owns like with the back home, title yeah. Card. But he owns a bunch of sports franchises, so right, exactly. Uh, so you're talking about kind of the uh, you know the Last Dance, and uh, you mentioned it at least. And I was curious as a uh, as a pioneer in the field of remembering some guys, how you felt about sports media essentially becoming uh, an industry that only dealt with remembering guys in April and May. If did that feel like too much? It was remembering. Yeah, it's, not, it's not necessarily what you want. Uh but I do <laughs> but I do think that there's like it depends. You know that like the Jordan thing I think was limited by the fact that Jordan is like such a a weird narcissist and like doesn't really want to talk about anybody else except for like as they relate to him trouncing them or whatever. But there was something sort of like, you know, it's not my, it's not even like my idea, you know, like that's something Tom Lay came up with. And like, I was in those videos that that's been, I think that like, you could see how much people were missing baseball at that point that like periodically you would, you know, go on Twitter or something and just see like that Bob Hamlin baseball card where he's holding the card with his name on it or whatever. And you're like, great guy, by the way, Thanks. the hammer is a great really? guy. Really? <laughs> Yes, he's awesome. That's great. He's awesome. Yeah, that card. I, I, do you know yeah, the card I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah, so I think that yes, I, I think do. John Boyce wrote about it. Like, it's not like as like a total cult thing, but like every time I saw that, I was like, that right there is a man who misses baseball a lot. Like, he's <laughs> like if you're just like going through your day, either working or applying for unemployment, and then like a little light goes off in your brain. It's like, hey, remember that Bob Hamlin card? Put it online. Put it up where your friends can see it. Like that's. <laughs> it speaks to like what is actually valuable in this, which is that people really super care about it. Mm. Um, it. I would like to see the balance of remembering guys and actual baseball come a little bit more uh, into, you know, <laughs> equilibrium, but like you do what you got to do. I think it's interesting. Cause like, I feel like ballplayer politics does just based on like demographics skew more towards like conservatism. Yeah. But I think like, it's probably just more coherent with how normal people are and that they're just not interested. Right. I think that's absolutely like, true. That's how like sane people handle yeah. politics, I think, is like by is just being interested in other yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so like it definitely has that kind of like received feeling of like I mean, I grew up in a conservative suburban, you know, area and formerly a Republican district, no longer in New Jersey. And it is like it's just the air you breathe. It's what you hear. Like, and if you don't think about it very much, which again, like why the hell would you <laughs> like, if you could think about anything else, then like, yeah, it just sort of like makes its way in there. And you're like, well, that seems like bullshit to me. I don't really care about it. Well, you're also talking like conservatism in the American sense, right? We're talking about individualism. Yeah. 
you've got guys that if you're a major leaguer, you've reached the top of your profession. Right. Okay. And do those people want to hear that uh, they had certain advantages or whatever? No. Right. I mean, like, right. Like, I mean, and that, that is, in fairness, that is a murky line. If you think of it from their perspective, like you're told you work your ass off, you have talent, you're going to get there. You know, it feels in this like construct that you've climbed it yourself when the reality is no you didn't nobody does but like th- those ideas are, i think are hard to match especially when you really don't give a shit and you're like 20 something yeah, you know I think that's one of the things where we have to suspend reality with sports right like it's one of the few things i think you it can be as clean as you want it to be yep. right like if you turn your brain off for all the other stuff and i actually didn't mean it to make it sound like it's bad because it's okay. It's good to turn your brain yeah, off. Absolutely. Sports. You should, right? But like this idea of this like true meritocracy and all that, sports in our culture is the best representation of yeah. it. It actually okay? and, yeah. is what it appears to be in that. I think that's right. why people get mad about steroids or about banging on a garbage can or whatever. Yes. Like more than than the other sort of like moral stuff. Like when people Precisely. talk people talk about like bringing politics into sports and that, what that means is like they don't want to know the opinions of the players, but like there's, I mean, I'd say it's way more political to see these like attempts to, to sort of gamify or like just in some ways, like to find that little like extra angle in the way that like, for instance, the Astros did that to me felt way more political than like Bruce Maxwell kneeling. Like I can look up where that guy was born and what his life was like and know a little bit about why he might want to do that. Whereas like I, you know, the more you look into like, McKinsey or like the sort of like the general like the movement of like sort of amoral efficiency through like the culture starting in business and now you know very much in politics like it's way easier to make that connection to me uh to like I mean that's why it feels bad Mm -hmm. are do you feel like uh you know that idea of like amoral efficiency right like 10 years ago that's kind of what we all thought every team should do Right. It was fun like, to like think about it that way. It feels really weird to think yeah, about that, but that's how I thought of it. Yeah. And I wonder, like Mark and I have talked about this, like if sometimes like, you know, I say like the royal we, like we're to blame in a way. Like 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 I used to, you know, like if you go and read Fire Joe Morgan right now, mm-hmm. right? Like it was it was a great site, you know, they did all these um, you know, funny fiskings of columns that weren't that great. But like if you the best baseball analysis in like 2019 would get you completely eviscerated on fire Joe Morgan. Cause you'd just be like, Hey, uh, Craig Kimbrell's a good pitcher. You should give him a lot yeah. of money. And you'd be like ahead of the game for everyone else writing about yeah. baseball. Right. And like, it's just the way that, you know, the sort of, it's like the cult, the, the, the smartest idea becomes like the simplest one yeah. in a way. Like, well, after that's, some time. I think, especially with like advanced metrics, like it was always going to, trend in that direction because there's like all this stuff under the hood that normal people uh wouldn't be able to understand which i don't really understand like how you get to it but then it generates a number that has a decimal point in it which as darren Ravel has showed us any number with a decimal point in it appears more accurate and more uh that that's like the fact that i just mentioned skittles here is worth 1.6 <laughs> million dollars in exposure see sounds sounds correct right but those like when you have like a number that you can compare to another number then like that's what people are going to do and i think that like at that time you know the fire Fire joe morgan thing was like basically like it still felt like a binary at that point where there's people that are like like the information that we analyzed gave us this number and then the other side of it was like no you're a dork you know and they're just like it wasn't like an actual engagement with like the argument but now that like the other like that it's just basically goose gossage and nobody else that like that side of it has totally quit the field then yeah like the idea of things becoming ever more efficient like at the time when it seemed like that meant things getting smarter i was all for it and now when it means making things feel like everything feel more like fucking walmart no like i don't really care for like just-in-time logistics in a baseball game dude it it you know what like i grew up watching the game in the 80s and um Same. you know guys stole bases they ran yeah. but like the point is and and they swung at pitches that might not have been ones they could drive and then sometimes they'd go up there and decide fuck it i'm gonna swing early in this count i'm putting a ball in play the idea is that they were willing to take risks yep like th- i think the game is so much better when risk taking 
is encouraged. And in, in baseball, that means right stealing bases. That means swinging more. Yeah. Um, like it, and and what efficiency really is in this context is eliminating risk. Yeah. And shit, it is boring. I think that's ex- that way. very well said. I think also like there's something. It's the wrong word to use because it's so loaded from Silicon Valley bullshit or whatever. But like what you're talking about is disruptive. Like in the way that mm-hmm. like the attempt to like where there's more of a sort of like a universal approach to like uh, pitch design or to plate approach or any of that stuff, the more that everybody is taking the same approach as everybody else, like then it's a, a button mashing tournament. It's not like, so anything that you can do to like make it weirder or like put sort of the opponents on their heels, like whether or not it has a competitive advantage, which I think it probably does. Like it's also something that, like seeing different styles of baseball player up there is like, that's always been the fun of it. I mean, I think that's like the thing that I picked up on as a kid. I mean, growing up watching Mm -hmm. baseball probably around the same time as you was like, there were teams that were just totally different from other teams. Like the Cardinals had all these like little skinny, annoying, fast guys. And then like, and one home run hitting dude. And then there'd be teams that were just like only lummoxes. Like everybody was Gorman Thomas somehow. And like, (laughs) but that's, that was cool too. You know, like I, I want, I like, I like baseball like in its fullness and with all the sort of stories to it, as opposed to it just being like stomp and lift and then like, you know, whatever sink or slider stuff. It, it, you know what it feels like just to equate it to another sport. Like, so I'm, I like the, I like the golf Mm -hmm. and what's fun to me is watching someone where you look at them and you know, that's, that swing was self-taught. Right, like you'll never be able to teach it again. You'll never replicate it, except they will kick your ass. Okay, and in baseball, what I miss are those like clearly, like you learn that shit on your own. You didn't have the private you know, swing coach. You didn't, you know, you didn't have like all the stuff like uh, scientifically now that you can measure. Like you just learned how to do it by getting guys out or by going up there and getting hits. And I, I just liked. That difference, and is to your point, David. Like every team, right? Like they, they had personalities on him. Like I mean, we can go on and on about those Cardinals, right? Vince Coleman and Willie McGee, yeah. and then the the other side of it being I like, hated I don't them, know, Steve but Balboni. they were distinctive. Oh yeah, it's totally distinctive, and like you know, and and like I liked the American League better back then. Like I didn't like watching him. Mm-hmm. All right, like I thought it was boring, but like I liked that it was different, and and we don't have as much of that anymore. I think it kind of sucks. Yeah, that was the stuff that I remember reading as a kid that always blew my mind was the. Because the Cardinals were built to that particular Cardinals team was built to like to win on that terrible turf that they had at Bush Stadium, which was basically just like a parking lot with a carpet over it. So they would hack down on the ball and just bust ass down to first base. And it wasn't, you know, as you you might have guessed, it wasn't like necessarily the beautiful game or whatever. But I remember reading books about baseball when I was a kid and it'd be like, teams that would grow the grass really long along the third baseline mm, because yeah, they'd have guys yeah, with yeah. bunt down there and all that stuff. And that was all so cool to me. Like I was the idea of like every ballpark's different. Every team is different. They're all like, you know, I didn't need for them all to be like virtuous all American boys or whatever, but like the ways in which at least they all like sort of sought their advantage in distinctive ways. Yeah. This is a tired topic for me, but like the, the mid, you know, the 14, 15 Royals, I think like, were very distinctive in that they were doing something different. They were playing a brand of baseball that, on the one hand, it did harken back to that, like, you know, 70s, 80s style, and that, like, they didn't like striking out, they went first to third, they liked stealing bases, but also it just, like, was so different when you, like, it created such an interesting stylistic matchup when you watch them play, like, the Blue Jays or something like that. And so, like, I think, like, if you think back to last year's playoffs, right, like, watching the Astros and the Yankees was really great theater right like it was was really really the best players in the sport playing the sport that's cool right but it is it is basically two guys just throwing the heaviest possible punches at each other's head for six games right and there was like you know stylistically they're relatively similar they're trying to hit home runs they're trying to get strikeouts they're trying to do strikeouts i don't know i mean Um, they're trying to do the same thing to one another and i think it adds an extra element of intrigue when teams are trying to do different things if that makes sense i think this in some ways reflects what we were talking about earlier in terms of like questions of privilege or whatever like as it relates to the individual politically 
obviously uh, not a conversation to have like on the mound during a game, say. You might want to have that at another <laughs> time. But there is what we were, were sort of talking about in terms of the way that that actually like manifests in the game. And Mark talked about this, like that sort of the stylistic flattening of this starts at a level before anybody's playing organized baseball. And it's why, you know, it's like the game itself being like the American component of it, at least being like much less diverse, like even geographically less diverse that this is there, mm -hmm. you know, it's guys from four or five States like year round. And it, it makes sense that some of it's like places where you can play baseball year round, but like the specialization, the coaching, all of that stuff does create like a more of a like sort of identical style and maybe even like culture you know in these clubhouses and that's like something is is lost from that i mean i guess like however romanticized the vision of baseball as that like you know again like going back to what i read about as a kid like the teams felt like the um like the unit from saving private ryan you know where it's like really cliched like one type of guy from all over the country there's like the dude from brooklyn a brooklyn from guy accent. You, got a, yeah. you got a barry pepper type of course every team's got yeah, a barry pepper on it yeah right but like that was like you know a way that it's a vision of america and a vision of baseball you know that like it's all sort of coming together and then if it's like 19 guys from the dallas suburbs you know like is that have you gotten the same experience right. there Right. Guys who like, it's like, you know, five guys from the same high school in Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. Flaherty like, and his crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All these guys from Harvard yeah. Westlake, yeah. you know? And it's literally Harvard Westlake. I mean, that's the thing. There was uh, somebody, I remember where I'd seen this. I mean, it all kind of blends because it was just like me and my former coworkers sharing stuff that we saw on Slack and being like, it'd be cool to write about that, right? <laughs> and like, but <laughs> the, uh, there was a story that listed the alums of Harvard Westlake and it was like, it was going, it was making the point that like, you know, whatever Max Fried and, and Giolito and all those dudes were there together. But it also like included other prominent alums, like seemingly in alphabetical order. I don't remember what website it was from. So yeah. it was like Jason Collins, Sharon Collins, Gray Davis, Max Fried, Lucas Giolito, like Eric Garcetti. Like it was just, but it was just whoever, you know, like had come through there. And so like, the idea that like the school that produces political elites also produces uh, like, I don't know, one out of every five starting pitchers in <laughs> major league baseball. <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. I was doing this thing on Flaherty last year and I was talking to like his, for some reason, someone suggested I get in touch with like his high school drama teacher. And he was like, Oh, I'll send you this video. And it's like Jack Flaherty, like as a backup dancer for Beanie Feldstein. <laughs> it's some like, and I'm just like, I like, I think I'm the most famous person from my high school. Yeah. Like, you know, like, or I don't know. It's probably like Susie Colbert, but you know, like that's it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. There's just the such a of concentration like the, of power and influence in certain places. The idea that like a guy that gets Cy Young votes every year can be like the fifth or sixth most famous person in his graduating class <laughs> is not like yeah, what yeah, you'd yeah. expect for sure. Wait, wait, <laughs> Susie Colbert is the most prominent graduate of your high school? Andy? Yeah. It's like Susie Colber, me, and Mike Sealski from the Philadelphia. Hey, Sealski. Like what about you, David? What about your high school? I'm curious now. Uh, mine is not. Uh, I think that probably the person that has the most influence now is a guy that's like much younger than me who is a conservative radio host. Uh, and he's a, he's a creep. And I'm not going to blow him up here because I know your listeners would love to <laughs> gang stalk and harass him. And we don't do that. Yeah, the Beyond the Scrum Reddit got, yeah. uh, got But there was, I'm trying to think, first. like, I guess maybe Robert Sean Leonard from Dead Poets Society. Oh, oh. yeah. Okay. But That's I'm not 100% sure. I don't even know if he went there all the way through. Like, I think it might be one of those things where, like, it's a, it's a high school. Ridgewood, New Jersey is the place. Uh, the band Real Estate is from there. But again, like, this okay. is not, like, the hugest. You know, not even, I mean, Titus Andronicus is good. much bigger. That's Glen Rock. It's the next town over. So. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Pinole Valley High School, Pinole, California, Green Day went there. Yeah, that's an easy one. Um, that's pretty, let's lay up. Gino Toretta Heisman Trophy winner also really? played there. Well, yeah. that's like, yeah, I think it's yeah. a pretty easy win for you, Mark. Dale Swaim is an all-state quarterback there, yeah. But all about that's it. That you know him. Is that what? Is that Valley what he? Uh, I have no idea what Dale Swain's voice. Twenty-seven like. bombs with the Milwaukee Brewers playing shortstop yeah. one year. One year before he got hurt. Yeah. Uh, Wait. So Mark, the entire uh, everyone in Green Day went to your high school? Yeah, I don't think they finished though. 
Yeah. Either they moved to Berkeley or they just like dropped out because, you know, they were already doing well. Oh, you know who? All right. So our our actual funniest one and best is uh, Andy Daly from uh, like of comedy. The dude that does, um, I'm forgetting the name of the show where he tries something. Oh, yeah. This um, is classic. This is also definitely making the, oh shit, Young Hoku went there. I didn't know that. This is my. I feel a lot better about my high school now. You're learning yeah. so much. And Kim Ng. So there's a baseball person. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, I didn't know any of this stuff. I just I'm still stuck in the the 80s with Robert Sean Leonard and Dead Poets Society. Embarrassing. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, I think we've uh, I think we've covered what, it. I think once we Young can... Hoku comes up. <laughs> can, can, can. <laughs> Yeah. Time to go. Uh, David, is there anything uh, you want to plug or anything you want to pass along before we let uh, you go? I mean, not too, too much. I have a new story that went up at New Republic today. Um, but, you know, it's about depressing stuff. You might not want to read it. Uh, do a Hallmark podcast with Jeb Lund called Dave and Jeb Aren't Mean. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for work. So, uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be other stuff. You can find me on Twitter being an idiot, I guess, until, until that moment comes. But I have to ask before you go, yeah. dude. Uh, what do you got on the Mets this year? I, I'm having a hard time figuring it out. I actually think they're going to be really good. But what, what do you got? I kind of think they're going to be good too. Um, I haven't. My concern is the is starting pitching and just there's no depth in the organization. Like that. Like once you get down to like guys are going to start for them this year that wouldn't be starting for a good team. Um, but like it could go either way. You know that like they could definitely finish like 31 and 29, and I'd be like, oh, okay. Or like, yeah, it definitely could happen. It's just a question of like, I still haven't seen, um, I haven't seen Batances like look like Dylan Batances yet. Like there's a lot of stuff that like, if it gets better during the course of the year, who knows? I think the funniest outcome would be the Mets winning the World Series this year and everybody being like, well, that was stupid. It doesn't count. <laughs> so I mean, we'll see. Yeah. The funniest outcome would be the Pittsburgh Blue Jays. Yes, absolutely. All, like, oh, yeah, that I would love be that. Yep. Yeah, that. That, I mean, yeah, that would be solid. And I guess, you know, they all got a chance except for the Orioles, but they all have it. They do like they're everybody's kind of in the mix. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's going to be a weird one. You're going to look bad when Tommy Malone shoves on opening I day. I love that he's starting on opening day. I always thought Tommy Malone's like underappreciated. I like that his his first name is like Tommaso. Like he's like real Italian flavor as opposed to just being a, <laughs> you know, Tommy. I hope he wins love 10 it. games. That's a Cy Young award. That would be that would that would be every start. But yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Well, David, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for listening. Review and give us a five star rating if you like the show. If you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, go to theathletic.com/slash/beyond-the-scrum and get forty percent off a one year subscription.